Welcome to the Albany Hunter Stories. Now welcome your host, Jenny Polly, and his lovely wife Tracy. I hear she's a lovely girl. <laughs> Alright everybody, welcome to episode 13 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Excited once again to be back because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, my absolute favorite movie of all time, The Exorcist. I am joined by my beautiful wife and co-host, Tracy Polly. What's up y'all? So, I know Tracy, you, you, I know a lot of this stuff is kind of new to you because this is something I've always been fascinated with and I'm not saying that you haven't been fascinated with it, but you don't quite delve into it as deep as I do. So right. as we research these things, you actually have to uh, listen to a lot more and watch some videos and read up on it. And uh, what kind of experiences has this been for you so far on the last two episodes on having to dive into these episodes? Well, actually, I love it because I have learned so much um, stuff about the songs you know, all the creepy stuff that goes on in the world. I mean, it's just amazing. So, I guess I'm going to say if my uh, head starts spinning around, just continue on. <laughs> I always wondered if uh, if you got a, somebody and you got to call an exorcist in because somebody's possessed and then you don't pay them, do they get repossessed? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Here's what I want to do today. I want to do something brand new. We haven't done this on the show. Uh, but it came to my attention over a couple of days that... We're starting to get followers all over the world, not just the U.S., so you know we are blessed to be able to have the kind of devotion between the fans that we're having right now. It's totally amazing. Thank you guys so much. It means a lot to us. So I wanted to actually start giving some shout-outs, and we'll probably do this every show to our loyal listeners um, out there. So if I say your name, it's because we appreciate you listening, and you've sent us comments and stuff so we know you listen. So... Let me start. We got a couple in Louisville, Kentucky, Angela Arendt and Angela Elmore. Thank you guys for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Here in Lexington, we have Austin Quiggins, Cheryl Olivenbaum, Kristen Peluso. So there's three of them we've got in Lexington. Thank yeah, you yeah. guys. Clay County, Kentucky, we got Peggy Napier. Peggy, you sent a bunch of uh, emails telling us how much you love the show. Thank you for listening, and hopefully you appreciate hearing your name for your uh, loyalty here. Absolutely. Thank you, Peggy. Now I want to get a little around the country. Peggy Sue Jones, she actually lives in Wisconsin. Wow. That's uh, a decent ways from us. We're in Lexington, Kentucky, so it's a lot colder up there, I'm sure, up in Green Bay Company. Thank, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Um, I got a special shout-out. This guy's from Yonkers, New York. He's a DJ. His name's, uh, and if I screw this up, Anthony, I apologize, but I think it's Anthony Alvarengo, or Alvarenga. I'm sorry, Anthony Alvarenga. Um this guy has been a huge inspiration to us. He listens to a lot of podcasts. Yes. Uh, we've got a lot of the same taste, and he's constantly giving us great feedback, and we greatly appreciate we it. We do, Anthony. Thank you so much. Now, let's talk about some of these around the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name a couple off real quick. Vincenzo Bruno from Italy. Thanks for listening, Vincenzo. It's pretty awesome. I know I'm going to screw this name up. Nay Takan from India. Thanks for listening. That is so insane to me. That is just so great. Honestly, it's so exciting. I'm just so excited. Okay, this, go ahead. This is a special one for me. Andrea Potts Pointer. Now, Andrea lives over in England, and she's been a, actually a Facebook friend of mine for a while, but she told me that she's listened to the show in Peru, Mexico, Jamaica, and I'm going to guess this is Maritas. I had to look it up. It's actually in Africa. 
Um, so I greatly appreciate all you guys listening. And I'm sure you're tired of hearing us yap now and you want to hear what the meat of this story is going to be. And we're going to talk about The Exorcist. So, with that being said, I always like to give a little bit of background. That's what we're going to do. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie. The movie was released in 1973. It was based on the William Peter Blatty book. Uh, many say that this is the scariest movie of all time. I mean, when it first came out, people were fainting and vomiting in the theater. Ambulance uh, calls were, were to the theater. It was on a regular basis. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, it was just... This was something that nobody had seen back in the day with, oh, this, with the spinning in the heads oh, and the, yeah. the language that was used mm-hmm. and it being a little girl. It was just so taboo yeah. that it just blew people out of, the, you know, out of the way. Yeah. So with that being said, most people don't realize that this was based on a true story. Now, there's a lot of, lot of differences between the true story and this story. And the main, the main difference right off the bat is this was a 14-year-old boy instead of a 13-year-old girl like in the movie. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so the crucifix scene uh, obviously didn't happen. Oh, so. well, I mean, why? Was they just trying to protect the That's exactly what it was. Boy? They were trying, to protect, oh, they were trying okay. to protect the boy. As a matter of fact, for years and years and years, nobody even knew the kid's last name. Wow. Uh, but we're going to share that with you today. because. I oh, he's probably like, I don't want nobody to know that was me. You're about <laughs> to blow him up here. <laughs> so before we get too much into the actual story, I want to tell you a little bit about a place where some of this actually happened at. And, and maybe this has something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's worth mentioning. So let's talk about a place called Cottage City, Maryland. It's a little bitty place. Even today, it's only got like 1,200 people. Wow. Yeah. So back in the, back in the early 1800s, this was a place to where it just seemed like always bad luck. The War of 1812 came through. This city was destroyed through there. It wasn't really much of a city at the time, mm-hmm. but it was destroyed. And that's where they actually, uh, the English had went and burnt down Washington, D.C., captured Washington, D.C., all based on this place. Well, no wonder there's not very yeah. many people live there. They're scared to move there, I guess. <laughs> when in the, in the late 1800s, from the 1800s to like 1880s to like eight, uh, 1901, somewhere in that ballpark, there was, this was like the place where people would come to settle their differences, so to speak. Oh, like wow. duels. Oh. So over 50 different duels took place with, a, you know, obviously somebody dying in each one of them. Um, then they turn around. And after that, there was another, uh, like, a lot of, I wouldn't say gang activity, like mob-type activity Mm -hmm. uh, that took place. Uh, It's just, it was just a horrible place as far as Mm -hmm. bad things happening. So, who knows how much that contributes when you you know the the deaths and everything that's happened there. Uh, Matter of fact, he used to be called Blood Run was the name of it, and they actually changed the name of the creek to dueling creek because of yeah. all the dueling oh so it's out. that same name today then. yeah it's oh. du- dueling creek is actually the name today so i wonder how they dueled with guns uh, just with guns i mean yeah, sort of like I mean, the wild wild west i mean i guess if he was two naked guys they could have a sword fight but i'm gonna assume <laughs> i guess so i'm gonna assume that it's <laughs> that would have been impressive i'd like to see that so 800 miles away st louis missouri 25 year old edwin hunkler and his girlfriend odell Corfidge got married. Eight years later, on June 1st, 1935, little Ronnie was born. In 1935, they decided that they were going to move to this little town, Cottage City in Maryland, that we just po- talked about. So it was it was Odell, Edwin, little Ronnie, and Odell's mom, Anna. They all moved on the 40th Avenue in the infamous house 
where all this starts to take place. Yeah. So in 1948, Ronnie was kind of awkward. He had no friends. He just kind of, you know, just he a didn't. Loner. Ta- yeah, he's kind of a loner. Didn't take the move very well. Didn't really, wasn't really happy with it. The only time he really got happy is when his aunt Matilda came by. Mm-hmm. Now he and his aunt Tilly were close. They they had a really good bond from the time that that Ronnie was a little boy. And Aunt Tilly, she kind of considers herself a, a, I guess you could say, a spiritualist. And Ronnie was fascinated by this. I mean, he just thought that that everything she said was mm-hmm. was so in tune to what he would like to know. And he was especially fascinated by when the talk of her spirit board. Yeah. So one day Gosh. she came by and she brought one over, and it was Ronnie's first ever glance at a Ouija board. Oh, great. And we all know what happens with Ouija boards. Oh, yeah, we no, do. Nothing good comes out of that. Mm-mm. So over the next few days, Aunt Tilly showed him, you know, how to use the board. Um, Ron, Ronnie, they got to realize Ronnie grew up in a real religious household. He believed in an afterlife. So to him, thinking about using a spirit board and getting in contact with somebody, mm-hmm. it really wasn't that big a deal. That's kind of what he expected because he expected there being an afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and he loved his aunt Tilly, and he trusted her, so he definitely didn't think there would there would be anything to fear for. Yeah. January fifteenth, that changed a little bit. So January fifteenth, nineteen forty nine. Parents went out. They played canasta every Saturday night, and they left Ronnie with with uh, her aunt mom Tilly. Anna. Mm-hmm. No Anna. Left oh Anna. Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ronnie and Anna, they started hearing this dripping sound. They couldn't figure out for the life of them where it was coming from. So they looked around, looked around, couldn't find it. Then a picture of Jesus on the wall started shaking like somebody behind it, like maybe on the other side of the wall, mm-hmm. had hit the wall real hard and it started shaking. So that kind of scared them a little bit. But then the main thing was they started hearing these scratches. Oh, God. Deep scratching. And as we've talked about before, scratching is a sign of a demon. Or mice. Well, or mice. <laughs> In this case, I don't think that's going to be the case. Okay. But oddly enough, you know, parents came home and, and you know, the kid and his, and his grandma, they were scared to death, so they're telling about the deal. And, and of course, Dad's like, oh, it's just, you know, obviously it's rodents, mice, rats, something. Yeah. They called uh, called in an exterminator, gave the house a look over, and he said it was nothing. Couldn't find anything. So, for 10 days, this stopped, supposedly. Yeah. Ronnie was still hearing stuff, but he didn't tell anybody. Oh, well, he didn't. I guess he didn't think he, they would believe him, I, I, guess. I, I guess. So, he didn't say anything about it. Couple days later, tragedy hit. June or January twenty sixth, nineteen forty nine, Aunt Tilly died from multiple sclerosis. Aww. She was only fifty four years old. As you can imagine, Ronnie was devastated. Oh, I'm sure. That's on, sad. On January twenty eighth, a couple days later, the family started hearing the sounds of the scratching and stuff again. So Ronnie had been hearing it. Now the family's starting to hear it again. Mm-hmm. On February second. Anna and Odell, his mom and grandma, they were suspicious that maybe Ronnie had something to do with some of this. So maybe he was the scratch and maybe, you know, somehow or another, they thought maybe he might not be in on the up and up with them. So what they decided to do was they went in his room, they got into bed with him, and they just kind of laid there with him. Uh-huh. Well, all of a sudden, they start hearing these footsteps coming straight at them. So Odell and Anna's like, oh my God, this there's something happening. Yeah. And they hear these footsteps. Well, all kind of the footsteps stopped. But then they started, they came back, and it was going up and down the bed. Like, you know, as if they could hear it just going up and down, pacing back and forth the length of the bed. Wow. That's creepy. And obviously, Odell, you know, as Tilly was her sister, she yelled out. She said, Tilly, is that you? 
If so, knock three times so we know it's you. Well, at that time, they felt like somebody walked past them. They felt the wind just kind of hit them unless somebody walked past them real fast. Then they heard three knocks. Oh, my gosh. How about that for special effects? That was really great. We t- hey, we do it all for you guys. Top notch. Nothing but the best for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Major skills. <laughs> so they hear the three knocks. Then the mattress began to start shaking like crazy, and the edge of the sheets stood straight up. Now, oh my God. When, when Odell would touch the sheets, they would go back down to normal. But this was enough to just completely freak them out. So they didn't know what to do. They called Lyle Schultz. He was the uh, Lutheran minister from St. Stephen's Evangelical Church. He arranged for Ronnie to spend the night with him. He wanted to see what was going on. He witnessed the bed shake violently and scratching sounds coming from the walls. Mm-hmm. So now you got not only the family, now you've got this Lutheran minister yeah, yeah. that's telling you he's hearing the exact same thing. Yeah, things. that'd been enough for me. I'd been out of there for sure. <laughs> the following day, he was examined by the University of Maryland Psychiatric Ward just to see, hey, is there something going on mentally with this boy? Mm-hmm. And they could find absolutely nothing. So that didn't help their case at all. Yeah. It, you know, they're right back to the drawing board. Well, the, the next several days, this, all the activity intensified. Uh, objects were hurled across the room in Ronnie's direction. At one time, it was like a table that had uh, milk and, and uh, some food and stuff on it. just flipped completely over. So, and, I mean, is it, was it just all headed toward him and yeah. not like the parents or yeah, anything it was all, like Yeah, it was all headed straight towards him. Uh, everything It was obvious everything was toward him. Wow. Now, Saturday in tw- on February 26th, Odell heard horrific screams coming from his room. So she ran over to his room and lifted up his stomach, and there were scratches on his stomach. So at this point in time, she knew this couldn't be Aunt Tilly because Aunt Tilly wouldn't do anything like it. This had to harm him, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be something else. At this point, the only thing left to do was get the Catholic Church involved. Father Edward Albert Hughes from St. Stephen's Church at Mount Rainier, he came down, he looked at him. Uh, he sent Odell home with some holy water, some blessed candles, and uh, she began sprinkling the holy water as soon as she got home. And then she put the holy water up on uh, uh, like a mantle, and it flew across the room. Yeah. So then she decides to, to try the candles. She lights the candles, and when she lights them, uh, a comb flew across the room, and I guess the wind from the comb put the candles out. So they were absolutely having no luck whatsoever from that. Gotta love a spirit with attitude. (laughs) So the next few days, the scratches began to start spilling words. Oh, God. Yeah, you could kind of see it was letters and stuff like that, but it wasn't really anything that was really... Like on him or just walls or Yeah, the the scratches on him began to start spilling words. So on March 3rd, 1949, the family decided it'd be best if they moved back to St. Louis and and maybe the change of, of atmosphere would fix the problems. Yeah. So they moved in with uh, his brother and and uh, wife. Her name was Dennis and uh, Doris Hunkler. And at this point in time, nothing really changed. They started having the same problems. This time, six different relatives saw the problems. Oh happening. crap! So the the uh, spirit followed them where they went. Then, yeah, it was basically. obviously it was obviously attached to the boy. Ugh. So they get. With, you know, these relatives, and one of the little cousins, they go to, the, I guess, went to a private school. She goes and she starts telling the story about stuff that they're seeing at the house. Well, Raymond Bishop, who's um, a minister there at the church who heard the story, he's obviously concerned about what he wants to, you know, what he's heard. Yeah. And he sets up an appointment to come meet with the boy. Well, on March 9th, he brought holy water, some relics, 
and he comes out and uh, I think the the uh, little relic that he used was a uh, Saint Margaret Mary medal. Mm-hmm. So he put the Saint Margaret Mary medal on the edge of the bed, okay, and just kind of hung it from the bedpost. And he started sprinkling holy water on the little boy. Um, this did not go over well. He started shaking violently. I was gonna say, did he burn? Did it burn him? Or well, he didn't say anything. That's that may be more movie stuff. But he oh. uh, he was shaking violently and and throwing a fit. Mm-hmm. So he soon stopped. But right after the priest left the room, he kind of started back doing it again. And uh, at this point in time, he doubled over with pain. His mom ran over to him because she never left the room. She ran over to him. She lifts up his shirt, and there's a huge zigzag scratch on his stomach. What is it? Well, it's just... It's just a, like a zigzag. Just a, like a zigzag scratch. Like Zorro? I guess like Charlie Brown. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been Zorro. Maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe it wasn't the devil. Maybe it was Zorro. Oh, my God. But... This guy decides he needs more help, this priest does. So he goes and he gets a guy by the name of William Bowden. And uh, he came in. He witnessed, you know, this scratching on uh, on him. He witnessed at one point in time he scratched a, a cross on his arm, on the little boy's arm. And this William Bowden actually sat there and watched it happen. Oh, my so this, God. It's like this stuff just appeared as they're watching it. Oh, my gosh. So he, he decides they're going to have a meeting with the parents. And he says, look, your son is possessed by the devil. So, I would say just Flat get rid out. of him. Yeah, get rid on. of him. Try another one. You know, you got other kids. <laughs> but they didn't have any other kids, so I guess they were stuck oh, with this I one. I guess. Uh, March 16th, they brought in a Walt Holleran. And uh, it was, so it was Walt Holleran, it was the bishop, and it was William Bowden. And they decided to, they're going to do this exorcism. So, mm-hmm. 10.30 p.m. that night, they start the exorcism. Uh, Bowden comes in, he puts on the, the vestment, including, you know, the purple silks like they do right. in the movie, mm-hmm. if you've seen the movie. Um, and then he goes into Ronnie's room, he stands over top of him, and he starts giving the uh, <coughs> rite of contrition. Then Odell and the priest all gathered around, they knelt, you know, beside the bed, and they all started reciting prayers. And then uh, Father Bowden started doing the rituale of the Ramadan and that's actually the exorcism ritual. Oh, okay. So at first I thought it was the rituale of the uh, ramen, ramen noodles. Oh, yeah. A and, Ramadan. But that's not what it was. So it was actually the exorcism ritual. Yeah. Ronnie was, and he was in pain. From, from the first word, three large bars were immediately scratched across his face. At any mention of the Lord's name, scratches would appear on his legs, his back, his arms, his chest, and his throat. Oh my God, that I can't even imagine. So at one point, Bowden demanded the demon to name himself. At this point, the scratches even became more fierce. And to everybody's disbelief who's standing there watching it, it spelled out the word help. Help? Help, right across the skin. So Ronnie eventually went into a sleep. They prayed to St. Michael. A really strange smile came over Ronnie's face, and then it kind of developed into a kind of a sinister kind of laugh. And at this point in time, he began to wake up. He sat up. He started pounding the headboard with his fists, making all kinds of racket. Then he started flailing his arms all violently. And when he got sprinkled with holy water, of course, he calmed back down. Mm-hmm. Um, when he woke up, he said he was above a fiery pit, wrestling with... A huge, powerful, red, slimy devil. And he was trying to keep him from uh, getting through an iron gate. 
They continued on with the exorcism. By midnight, it took two men to hold him down as he spat and cursed at, at the priest. Finally, everything kind of subdued it by 5 a.m. At about 7.30, Ronnie was able to go to sleep. So the first day of the exorcism was done, but it was far from over. Yeah. Sounds like a long journey ahead there. So over the next several days, Ronnie spit and cursed at anybody who even came close to him. Rude. That's just rude. It is rude. Sometimes singing or humming in a really high-pitched, kind of a broken tone. Like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So anyway, the family, the family during this time, they saw Ronnie move to a number of different places over the next few weeks. At first, it was a rectory, and that was just a bad idea altogether because everything intensified it that way. Uh, he even reached out and broke um, the, the one guy's nose. Uh, Ronnie did? Ronnie did. And by this time, it was starting to take four grown men to hold him down. So they moved into this Alexian Brothers Hospital on Thursday, March 31st. And then back to the rectory uh, because it was just back and forth, back and forth yeah. to this hospital. At this point in time, Ronnie kind of started to talk a little bit. And he told Father Bishop, flat up, anybody who tries to mangle with me will die a horrible death. Well, that's just rude. And I mean, he just needs to calm his little ass down. So the priest agreed that the best chance was to convert him to Catholicism. The next day, Ronnie's being driven to church by his uncle, who and Ronnie's got no clue where he's going. His uncle's just driving him. And I guess he decides to have some fun with it, and Ronnie looks over at his uncle, and he tells him that his feet is burning. And his uncle just kind of looks at him, and then he's like, he's like, so you think you can take me to a church for communion? And he grabs the steering wheel and just veers it off the road, and then luckily his uncle gets control of the car again and, and gets it to stop on the side of the road. Oh my god. But it's it's like that, you know, it's like the whole scene out of the, the omen and stuff. Yes. Where, so he knew he was going, even though nobody had told him he knew where they were heading to the church for communion. So yeah. it's kinda scary. Like the one the dog goes to the vet. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> so the baptism does get completed and the priest arranged to have him taken back to the Alexan Brothers Hospital. Ten days of more exorcism, and 10.45, finally that night, he has a, a really bad seizure. And then he kind of starts to go to sleep. Well, finally one day, Ronnie uttered the words, Satan, I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan, and all other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus, immediately now. Dang. I think he means business. Yeah, that's some serious shit. That's shit, yeah. <clears throat> so, at that time, that came the most violent of all the contortions and everything. And then Ronnie became completely still and just opened his eyes and said he's gone. Ronnie said the demon's gone? Yep, he just said he's gone. So now, Ronnie claims that he stood at a cave with fire with the devil standing there. He saw a bright light. In the bright light, a beautiful man appeared holding a fiery sword. It was St. Michael. He pointed to the devil, pointed to the cave, and he said only one word to Ronnie. Dominus. The devil ran back in the cave, and then that was it. Oh, my gosh. So we need to remember that word. Yeah, that's some powerful word. Dominus. I've been done some stuff with dominatrix, but never dominus, but that's close enough. <laughs> they got their way just the same. That's right. After 94 days, it was completely over. So from start to finish, this was a 94-day. Dang, on it. Now, for those of you who are at least interested, Ronnie is in his late 70s. 
He's still alive? He's in his late 70s. He lives in Maryland. And he actually is retired from NASA where he spent 37 years. Oh, my gosh. So cool Are you that? serious? Yep. Well, that is I awesome. I shit you not. That is awesome. See? Devil, you ain't all that bitch. So that's that's kind of the story behind behind the movie. As you could imagine, with all that going on, when they went to make this movie. And by the way, this is still one of the most profitable horror movies of all time. And it's funny because they didn't really advertise horror movies back then. They didn't do a lot of uh, promotions on horror movies. It was just something that they just they just didn't do. This was one of the first horror movies they actually did a lot of promotion on. And mm-hmm. it did, you know, wonders at the box office. Oh so. my gosh, I can imagine. But... And then once word of mouth spread, you know, it's crazy. But there were some incidents making this movie. Uh, there was all kinds of stuff that went on, kind of freaky stuff. Say, mm-hmm. a lot of people say that the movie was cursed. There was, you know, places where a lot of the film that they shot, there were shadows and stuff on the film. Oh my god! So gosh. they couldn't do it. There was a lot of lighting and stuff that fell during the making of the film. Uh, but we're going to talk about a few of the other things that that happened and let you kind of be the judge if ever something funny going on or not. But it all kind of ties in, and I think it's all kind of cool. So number one. Of course, this is based on a real-life event. You know, William Blatty wrote the 71 novel based on a real-life exorcism of... Uh, well, they called him Roland Doe forever, but his name was actually uh, Ronald, and we covered his last name in the... In the uh, Roland in the Doe? Time. Yeah, Roland Doe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The only thing Roland and Doe was the movie theater. That's right. He knew what he was doing. But, uh, the, you know, so we know what was going on, but yeah, he uh, he lived a normal life, and, and, and you know, like I said... Retired after working for NASA's firm, so that was cool. So, shooting was delayed after the set caught fire <laughs> and destroying what was supposed to be the McNeil's home, which was, you know, the Linda Blair's home in the movie. Uh, director William Freakin blamed the incident on a winged creature with talons. It seemed like a pigeon had found its way into one of the circuit boxes, which caused the fire. However, the fact that Reagan's room was unharmed by the fire is still kind of creepy. Oh, my God. I mean, how much of the house did it get? I mean, I guess everything except for that room. Well, that's crazy. During filming, uh, actress Ellen Burstyn, and this is actually really cool, who played Reagan's mom, was actually injured when possessed Reagan throws her to the ground. Yeah, that's cool. The take was actually used (laughs) in the film, and the blood-curdling scream she lets out is completely genuine. The injury uh, still bothers her today, according to her. Oh, my God. So he, she throws her to the ground, and then she gets hurt and all that. They just kept it in the film. So oh, that's well, cool. whatever it takes. Chances are good that any film that takes over a, a year to complete is going to be associated with some bad incidences. But The Exorcist has a few deaths. Actor Jack McGowan and Vasiliki Meliares both died while the film was in post-production. What makes their deaths strange is the fact that both of those characters died in the film as well. Mm. Other deaths that occurred during the film of The Exorcist include Linda Blair's grandfather, Max von Sydow's brother, who was the exorcist in the movie, uh, who died on the, on Max's first day of shooting. The first day? Yep. Why they died? Is, do you know? I don't what know. One of them, uh, no, I don't remember. You don't remember? No. Also while filming, the son of Jason Miller, who played Father Damien Karras, was nearly killed when a motorcycle hit him. While filming one of the possession scenes, Linda was thrown out of bed when a piece of rigging broke, causing her to injure her back. Additionally, after the film's release, Linda received so many death threats from uh, that the studio had to hire bodyguards to escort her for the next six months. You know, 
I don't think I could play that role in that movie and kind of go on with my life like that. I mean, I would think that would emotionally mess with your head so bad. But you know, after she made the movie, her mom wouldn't even let her go see the movie. So even though, because of the language and all this stuff, so her mom, even though she was in the movie, her mom wouldn't let her see the movie. I'm surprised your mom let her be in that movie. I think that that's, that's some shit I wouldn't want to live with the rest of my life. Even though it's pretend, but, you know. In 1987, actress Mercedes McCambridge, who played the demonic voice of Pazuzu, was the victim of a horrific tragedy when her son murdered his wife and children before taking his own life. Oh, God. That's terrible. (laughs) Many believe that the actual film was cursed and that playing it through a projector was an invitation for demonic possession. Televangelist Billy Graham stated, There is a power of evil in the film and the fabric of the film itself. When it was first released, the film was banned in every Middle Eastern country but Lebanon. The re-release was banned in Lebanon. (laughs) During the Roman premiere, audiences had to fight their way through a torrential downpour accompanied by thunder and lightning in order to get to the theater. Many inside claimed to hear a horrific, almost demonic cry coming from outside once the film started rolling. At one showing, a woman was so frightened she passed out in the theater and broke her jaw when she fell. She later sued the filmmaker, suggesting that the subliminal messages caused the accident. Warner Brothers settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. No, they did not. They most certainly did. Dang it. That's... <laughs> you can, you can sue, sue for anything. anything. Jesus, Absolutely. Pete. So, you know, I thought... Because we, didn't, we did this with me and Ricky. So, that's, that's really all we've got on that. So, I want to move on to something else. With Ricky and myself, we actually told about our paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would give you a chance if you had a paranormal experience to talk about. Oh, yeah, I do have something. I was running through a maze, and I had like four or five ghosts chasing after me. And then, oh, wait, that was Pac-Man. I guess I got nothing. (laughs) Great. Great. So I guess I'll tell a story since I haven't told one of these in a while. True. Why don't you go ahead and do something since my life is not that exciting, I guess. Well, as we've discussed before, that I grew up in a haunted house, all kinds of crazy stuff. Most of the stuff wasn't really anything to be scared of. I mean, it was noises in the attic. It was doors opening and closing that shouldn't be whispers that you could hear through the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the ventilation system, that type of thing. There was one thing that happened that scared me to this day. And since we're talking about this subject, I figured it'd probably be a good time to bring it up because... I would say it was the closest thing to demonic that I've ever experienced. Oh, my God. What is it? So, one day I'm laying in my bed. I've got a window right next to my bed. I've got a small room. And because of the noises and stuff I would constantly hear, I had a stereo right next to my bed. I literally rolled over and could, you know, from bed and could control this whole stereo. Uh And this was in the early morning. It was the day of a big ball game. I was excited. I got up. It was like 6 o'clock in the morning. It was about... um, about this time of year, actually, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, but it was, you know, football season. And I'm excited. I'm laying in the bed. And I start hearing this weird noise outside my window. And I swear the best way I could describe it is it sounds like a sick cow. A sick cow? Yeah, like a, like, moo. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm thinking, what the hell is that? And I'm going through my head, you know, and there's a tapping on the window, you know, tap, mm-hmm. tap, tap. So I'm going through the logical stuff. Well, maybe it's, you know, a string out there that the wind's blowing and mm-hmm. that's happening. And then, you know, we, we lived kind of, I wouldn't say really rural, but 
we lived in a place where some people did have farm animals and stuff, and I thought, well, maybe somebody's cow got out. And I'm going through this rationalization because uh-huh. I don't want to think of the alternative, obviously. Of not. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening, and then I start hearing this thing go, ooh, 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 ooh. Then all of a sudden, something banged on my window hard, and it scared the living shit out of me. Oh, my God. So this thing turned into like a growl. And it smacks the window, and I jumped out of bed. I went in the living room, and I sat there until it got daylight. And when it got daylight, I went outside, and I looked to see what it could possibly be, and there was absolutely nothing out there, nothing that could have been tapping on the window, nothing that could have been hitting the window. It was nobody playing a joke, nothing. Did you hear it anymore? No. That's the first and only time I ever heard it, and that was the, the only time I was ever really scared of something paranormal. Well, maybe it was somebody outside your window having sex, and they're going, oh, 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 like well, that, and maybe. Had this been post-Force Gump, I might have thought that. <laughs> but seeing as, as this was way before Force Gump, I don't think anybody would have thought to do that. Oh, that's so, so creepy. I would have been scared of that, too. Oh, my gosh. So, should we share the uh, sausage story? I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell a story that has nothing to do with the paranormal, but it's really funny, and and I don't know if everybody will think it's as funny as I do, but I thought it was. So, I'm I'm having a meeting. It's a it's a like a breakfast meeting at this really nice hotel. It's the owner of the company. I'm sitting beside him. We've got a rep from a vendor talking to us, and I've got two other members of our company there. So there's what well, is five of us sitting there. My boss, obviously, or the the owner of the company, he wears really nice clothes. He's got money. He has, he's got a shirt on. It's a nice blue shirt, a light blue. It's probably a $100, $120 shirt. I'm sitting beside him, and we've got these breakfast sausage links. So I stab it with the fork. I pick the whole thing up. I put it in my mouth to take a bite. As I do, grease squirts out of the other end <laughs> onto my boss's shirt. Now, he doesn't know it, and nobody sees it. I see it because I, cause, because I just one of those things that caught my eye, and I just pretend it didn't happen. Well, probably 10 minutes later, I look over, and he's got this grease stain on his shirt that's a pretty good size, and it looks like you know it's dripped water or something. It's, it's obviously darker. Well, well, the owner of the company, he just happens to look down, and he sees this, and then I see him lifting his shirt up, and he's looking at it, and he's all aghast, like, oh my God, what the hell happened to my shirt? And he's looking around at everybody in disbelief, like, <laughs> can you believe what's happening? And I'm just playing dumb, because I'm not going to own up to, oh, I took a bite of a sausage and squirted, you know, <laughs> grease all over you. So he goes as far as to calling the waitress over to see if there's a leak in the ceiling or something where something's dripped on because he doesn't have any food at this point or any drink. And it's just, it's one of those things you just definitely had to see. But to see the look of disbelief on his face, like, where in the hell did this thing come from? And then, and then we got the waitress over there checking her, and nobody has a clue. And I'm just keeping my mouth shut because I'm about to just mention it. I squirted and ruined this guy's $120 shirt. Oh, my God. I can just see you're trying to be innocent-looking face while you're doing that. Because, you know, if I had been there, I would have busted a gut laughing. I would have gave you away. So well, I anyway. thought I thought it was funny. I thought we'd end on that. So we appreciate you guys listening to this episode thirteen. So we keep plugging away. Um, we're going to 
get some really cool stuff. We're still going to do some more rock and roll stuff. We're still going to do an Aleister Crowley episode. Uh, I know we were going to talk about Ouija boards this week, and we just instead decided to do the whole show on The Exorcist. Yeah, we'll, so I can sleep really good tonight. That's great. Honey. Thank you. <laughs> so we'll, we'll end up doing another one probably on the Ouija boards. And, and, but there's so many things to talk about. We'll run, never run out of topics, and I get so excited about all these topics. I can't decide what to do from one week to the next. So uh, we'll leave you in belief and uh, on, on what we're doing, and we we won't know what's going on until next week gets here. So it'll right. be a surprise. I'll let everybody know on the Facebook page a couple of days beforehand what we're doing. But uh, right now, we'll just keep coming up and see if we can come up with some more cool stories for you guys. Thanks for listening and spread the word. Peace out, bitches. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Y'all come back now, here.